Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, February 7th by Pastor Rod Heppel. This is the sixth sermon in our series entitled, The Joy of the Lord, the Book of Philippians. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. I've called today's sermon, Faithful Servants Inspire Our Faith. And I want to start by sharing two stories of two people in my own life uh, when I was growing up. Now I could share a hundred stories because there's so many people who have built into my life, my faith journey, but here's a couple examples. From the time that I was about eight years old to 18, I went to Camp Kuonos on Vancouver Island, like every summer. In fact, I don't think I ever missed. It was a lot of fun and it was a huge encouragement to my faith. Of course, it was the people that were there that made the difference in my life, as it always is. When I was about 10, 11, and 12 years old, Camp at that time at Camp Kuonos was one week all boys and then the next week all girls. So to be clear, this was an all boys camp that I'm about to tell you a story about, but I can also say I was very disappointed when uh, they blended the, the guys and girls together, but um, that disappointment went away in time. But from the time that I was 10 to 12 years old, each year at camp we had the same speaker, and his name was Bill Plant. Now, Bill was a pastor, and, he, uh, and his wife was a nurse at the camp. Now, Bill was this great big strapping guy. In fact, he loved to lift weights, and quite frankly, he was just ripped. He was a huge dude. Now, each year, he would do this fun little thing for us as boys, just to get us all whooped up, I'm sure. But he would be hiding uh, in the bush, and we would be out on the field, and the camp director all of a sudden would stop the sports we were doing, yell through the megaphone, pretending that there was some kind of threat to the camp, and, and that we needed help. And then all of a sudden, just then jumping out of the bush, Running out onto the field was Bill Plant dressed like the Incredible Hulk. I mean, his shorts were torn, he was ripping his shirt off, and he was painted all green, and as boys, we just loved it. Now, I had brought my unsaved friends to camp, and they had no idea how cool a camp speaker could be. Now, do you think that Bill had our attention at that point? And do you think he had our attention when it came time to teach God's Word? You bet he did. But as I reflect back on it now, I probably think that Bill Platt would have rather have done something else. But quite frankly, he knew that it would be a way in which he could get our attention and that it would be worth it to get into all that get up and to expend the energy just to capture our attention that he could teach us about Jesus Christ and to encourage our faith. Now, over the years, I've had many different people pour into my life in this kind of a way. Uh, sometimes it's big ways and sometimes it's small ways. Camp speakers and directors and and uh, counselors, but also Sunday school teachers and youth leaders, pastors, friends, parents, relatives. Now, another story happened in my graduating year from high school. There was a young man in our church in his mid-20s who was a part of an organization called Child Evangelism Fellowship. And what they would do is people would host good news clubs in their backyard for their own kids, and then their kids would invite the neighborhood kids. Then a person like myself would come along, play games, and teach them about Jesus and his love for them. Now, I was 17 at the time, and my friend, Paul Weemey, encouraged me to commit a summer to the Lord in this way. There'd be two weeks of training and then eight weeks of me serving in these backyards. And he said to me, Rod, you'll never regret, regret taking the opportunity to teach kids about Jesus. And he was right. So who in your life has been used of God to encourage you in your faith and to direct your life in the Lord? Was it a parent or a relative? I had an uncle who was so helpful in my faith. Um, maybe it was, you know, at a soccer camp or a leader of a soccer camp, a Sunday school teacher, whatever it might be. We all have people in our life. And it's good to stop and reflect and to give thanks to those ones who have built into our lives to give glory to God. Think about it. 
Because that person who was a faithful servant in your life did it to impact and inspire your faith that we might inspire others. You know, it really doesn't matter if that person in our life did it in a big way or a small way. It's when we actually see it happen and we experience it for ourselves that it inspires us to do the same. So here we are in Paul's letter, Philippians chapter 2, 19 to 30. And we're going to be reading about a wonderful mutual relationship of encouragement that happens between Paul and this church in Philippi. And it only happens because believers in Christ are, are true servants of the Lord, meaning that they have the same mindset of Christ who gave himself for us, which Paul talked about earlier. That's the, the exact idea that Paul has in chapter 2 in those verses where we read about humility a few weeks ago where you value others ahead of yourself and their needs ahead of your own. And he instructed the church at that time to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, here in our passage today, Paul's going to pick up on that theme and he's going to share two examples of people who have this same mindset of Christ. They are true servants of the Lord. And they are Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, as we read this passage, I want you to just listen carefully for the mutual sense of encouragement that's going on here. So, Paul writes to his beloved church in Philippi, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your, your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of of my needs. For he longs for you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him to you, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, I'm wondering if you see this mutual care and encouragement that's going on uh, in this little part of the story. It's reciprocal in nature. The church wants to encourage Paul and Paul wants to encourage the church and it's almost like they're trying to outdo the other one. The key players in this expression of mutual encouragement are Timothy and Epaphroditus, although you also have the church and you have Paul. Now, these two guys are the real deal. You know what? They're the true servants of the Lord. They have a true servant heart. Both have faced either death or great hardship for the sake of the gospel. Now, of Timothy, Paul says he has no one else like him in whom he has complete confidence, right? And then of Epaphroditus, he calls him my, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier. So what makes a follower of Christ the real deal? A true faithful servant of the Lord like these two. Now I remember when Pastor Dave and myself 
were a part of uh, some Bible conferences for Iranian Christians. And for the sake of safety, I won't go into further details about where or how that this took place. Just that we simply had the opportunity to meet with these believers and to teach them and to encourage them in Christ. And what a privilege it was uh, knowing that some of these dear brothers and sisters, for the sake of Christ, had endured incredible hardship. However, at a certain point in, in my teaching time that I had, it became evident that one of the men was kind of drawing attention away from the rest toward himself, dominating the discussion and kind of putting himself forward as a very important person. The irony in all of this was that he was not one of the ones who had actually spent time in prison or suffered in ways that the others in the group had. Um, he'd kind of flown under the radar a little bit, but some of them had not and they had really suffered the consequences of their faith. Yet, the ones who had suffered for their faith were the ones that were humble. There was no pride there. They were filled with this incredible grace and humility. So in our debriefing time that Pastor Dave and I had, he said something along these lines to me. He said, let's not forget who the true heroes of the faith are here. It's those who have been thrown in prison and persecuted for the gospel. Let's not allow our attention to be distracted um, by ones uh, that really aren't in the center of who we came to encourage. Let's make sure we encourage those ones who have suffered for their faith. So what makes a person a true servant of the Lord? Is it only someone who is sacrificed in this kind of extreme way? No, it's a person who has the mindset of Christ at whatever level of sacrifice. Timothy and Epaphroditus were tried, tested, and true, but it, it wasn't like they suffered for Christ at that extreme level right away. There were varying degrees along the way. So before we kind of write off the fact that, well, I guess I'm not a true servant of Christ because I haven't gone to prison and I haven't almost died for my faith, kind of like that, let's look at the principle here. It's about having a humble heart. It's about being willing to serve Christ and to do it sacrificially. Yes, it involves sacrifice. We just don't know to what degree. It's a person who gives their time and energy, and when they're motivated out of the love of Christ to serve someone else, they're serving God. It's Bill Plant being willing to dress up like the Incredible Hulk for the sake of being able to teach a few rowdy boys at camp uh, about Jesus Christ. So, to all of you Sardis kids teachers and youth leaders and hospitality people and those of you who are on care teams and those of you on phone teams and you're working behind the scenes, all of you parents who love and serve your kids and all of you growing kids who care for your aging parents, when you do that, motivated by the love of Jesus Christ, you are being a true servant of the Lord. You're having the same mindset of Christ, becoming obedient, putting the needs of others ahead of your own. That's what Paul is saying these people need to be honored for. Now, Paul himself was in this camp, right? He was a faithful servant of the Lord who had sacrificed a lot. Now, remember, Paul at this time is in prison in Rome, waiting for a trial date to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for sharing the gospel that he is now in chains. He doesn't know for sure what the outcome is going to be of this. He doesn't know if he's going to be killed for his faith or if he's going to be released. Although he says that he's pretty sure he's going to be released. Now, the church in Philippi loves Paul. He's the one, along with his team, about 10 years earlier, who founded this church. And when they hear about Paul's situation and that he's in prison, they're very concerned. In fact, they're so concerned for Paul that they send him not only a financial gift, but also one of their own church members, Epaphroditus. To do what? To minister to him, to take care of his needs, maybe to get him food or clothing or whatever it is. Paul then reciprocates and he wants to encourage the church. So he plans to send Timothy, 
his best, trusted, dearest assistant, that Timothy would go to this church and encourage them, help them keep unity. So who's encouraging who? <laughs> the church to Paul or Paul to the church? And you know, that's the way in which the body of Christ works. It's very much mutual. It's reciprocal. Now, this happens often to me. I'll pick up the phone and I'll call someone in our church who's going through a hard time. My intentions are to phone and encourage them, right? To pray with them and see how they're doing. And then somehow there's something that comes back that's also encouraging. Often I, I hear them say something along the lines of, well, they'll ask questions about my family or how things are going with the staff. But they, they tell me things like, we're praying for you. We pray for you daily even. And for that, I'm truly humbled. Now, years ago, our kids were in Greendale Elementary School where they just had a great experience there. And in part, it was due to the fact that the teachers of that school were very involved in extracurricular activities. So whenever there was an event, um, Anne and I would try our best to sign up and volunteer. And often there were many other parents doing the same because we wanted to support the teachers. We wanted to support our kids. One day I said to one of the teachers, I'm very thankful and I'm amazed at the way that you teachers are always getting involved in these extra things for our kids. To which she replied back, well, how couldn't we be? Every time we have an event, all the parents are here uh, supporting us and driving and helping to volunteer. And we feel like we just have to keep doing it because we don't want to let them down. And so there was this thing where the parents were trying to support the teachers and the teachers were giving their time and then the teachers continued to give their time because the parents continued to support them and around and around it went. Well, that's what we see by way of God's design in the body of Christ, that it's, it's reciprocal in nature. It has this going around a giving and taking and taking and giving kind of effect. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So there's kind of this mutually encouraging experience that we share when we care for each other. Here's how it worked in our story here. Um, Paul, he's discipled and encouraged Timothy in the faith. Now, Timothy, in turn, would care and go and reach out to the Church of Philippi. The Church of Philippi, of course, we know, is trying to care for Paul, and by so doing, they send him Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is actually willing to go. And then, in turn, Paul writes words of encouragement about Epaphroditus for what he sacrificed for Paul's sake. So here you see it going round and round. The church for Paul, Paul for the church. And if you've ever been a part of this kind of mutually encouraging situation, you know exactly how encouraging it really is. So let's look at our story. First, Paul mentions Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will genuinely, pardon me, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own needs, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Who was Timothy? Well, we know a fair bit about Timothy. He's mentioned 24 times in Paul's letters and also in, in Acts. Uh, Paul also wrote two letters to Timothy instructing him how to be a pastor. That was First and Second Timothy. And then in Acts 16, we find out that his father was a Greek and his mother was a Hebrew, a Jewish woman. And it seems that Timothy had become a believer during Paul's first missionary journey when he came through his hometown of Lystra. 
And then five years later, when Paul revisits Timothy's hometown, he now finds Timothy a mature believer. So much so, so that the local church at that time speaks very well of Timothy, and Paul decides to take him along on his missionary journeys. That was when, 10 years earlier, when they came to the city of Philippi and that church was planted. Timothy was there. Now, Timothy was a special servant of the Lord. He was faithful, caring, sacrificial. He was seasoned and tested and true. Paul says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Paul has no one else like Timothy, who is both faithful, like a wonderful servant, but he's also a close and loyal friend to Paul. So he's special in that way to Paul. Now, Timothy's maturity did not happen overnight. And Paul did not entrust him with such a large level of leadership without first being tested. After all, it was Paul who had written in his letter to Timothy that he should not be too quick in using a person in ministry. This is in 1 Timothy 5.22. Do not be hasty in laying on hands. And that's with the idea of using them in leadership. Now, this is an important principle. A person needs to be tested because if they get into a position of leadership prematurely, they can do a lot of harm. When I was starting out as a youth pastor many years ago, um, I learned this principle the hard way. On the night of our kickoff for our new year in September, a parent showed up and announced that he was there to be a youth leader. Now, I was still pretty green in my role, and I didn't know how to appropriately handle this situation. The guy was very forthright and forceful, had that kind of personality. And, uh, and so I laid hands hastily on him, and I allowed him to be a youth leader. It didn't go well. By Thanksgiving, I sat down with him, had lunch, and I tried to help him understand that he was being too hard on the kids, and he was scaring them, so much so that they didn't want to come back. And by Christmas, I'd almost lost my youth group. I sat down with him again, and I informed him that he would be better suited in a different area of ministry. That's code for, you're fired. By January, he had left the church, and the rest of us as youth leaders were left to try to rebuild and pick up the pieces of the damage of this guy because he had really wrecked the trust and the culture of our group. Well, this was exactly not the case with Timothy. Paul knew Timothy. He knew him so much that he would genuinely care for the well-being of this church family, and he was ready for this task. The principle we see here in Timothy's life and in Timothy's leadership is the one that Jesus spoke about in the parable in Matthew where he says, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So Timothy had been faithful with a few things, with smaller things, and now he was ready for more things or the larger challenge. One commentator put it like this, you don't want your branches to go out further than your roots go down deep. If they do, your tree will topple. Paul compares Timothy to some other Christians, probably those preachers that he mentioned in chapter 1 that preached out of false motive, who looked out for their own interests. And he says, Timothy's not like that. He's the exact opposite. He's committed to Christ. He has the mind of Christ. He's yielded his will to Christ. And he will go and he will serve this church. It's interesting to note that Timothy would eventually take over Paul's ministry. Uh, Paul entrusted it to him. If you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you're going to see that. What a beautiful thing it is to be that confident in a person that Paul could give this kind of a recommendation. And I find that inspiring to my faith because I want to be that kind of faithful servant too. Now let's look at Epaphroditus. 
this is really an interesting bit of the story here. So Paul puts it like this. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who also, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Paul uses some pretty endearing language to describe who Epaphroditus is. Uh, my brother, uh, my co-worker, my fellow soldier. He almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. In other words, you're not here, but he is. You know, this is insider language that Paul is using. Brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. This is someone who's not only on the team, but he's a good team player. I mean, he's, he's a person who's willing to sacrifice for the team. He took a hit for the team. I mean, that's what happened when he almost died. That's who Epaphroditus is, and that's why Paul says people like him should be honored. So what did he do? Well, we know that somehow it came to be that he was to represent the church in personally going and making this journey and going to Paul, to Rome, uh, to carry and deliver the financial gift on behalf of the ch church to Paul. You know, you got to understand that this journey was not an easy journey to take. It's like walking from Vancouver to Calgary. Now, we don't know how it was that he came about to have this role, right? Like, I don't know, maybe there was a church meeting and the leaders of the church selected him. Um, possibly he was a church leader and he nominated himself. We, we just don't know exactly the circumstances as to how it came about that he was selected. But we do know, and we know that Paul knows that uh, this man risked his life to do it. He did that, why? To support Paul as Paul preached the gospel. So that's how it's linked to the gospel. The journey was long and hard, and it was dangerous. I mean, if he's carrying a financial gift on his person some way, somehow, if that was to be known, his life could be harmed. And then he does become ill, and he almost dies. We don't know exactly where or when this happened. I mean, potentially it happened along the journey. And, you know, maybe he carried on to Paul and didn't turn around and go back. That might have been the scenario. Or it could just simply be that he was in Rome serving Paul, and at that time he became ill. It doesn't matter, though. Either way, he was there. He fulfilled his mission. He came with the intention of serving Paul. He's not to blame for getting ill, for crying out loud. But he came with that intention to be a servant. You know, even in being associated with Paul in prison, that was putting himself at risk, potentially facing some of the same hardships that Paul was going to face. On top of that, Epaphroditus was distressed. He was distressed by the fact that his church family back home, who had heard that he was ill, didn't know the outcome of his illness. So you, you can tell that he's wrestling with this. He's conflicted within himself. Like, what's the right thing to do? God, should I stay here and help Paul, or should I go back and take care of that so they know? And, and we understand this situation. We've been there ourselves, right? When we've been torn about one thing or another. And in the end, Paul says, you know what? The decision's mine. I'm sending you back. He concludes that it's best for everyone. 
It's best for Epaphroditus. It's best for the church in Philippi, and it's even best for Paul himself. If Epaphroditus had died while caring for Paul, Paul would have suffered sorrow upon sorrow. Like the loss of his dear brother uh, compounded with the guilt of the fact that he died while taking care of Paul. He died on Paul's watch, right? That would have been too much for Paul. So he sends Epaphroditus back to, to Philippi with this very letter that we read in his hand. And in case there's just maybe any lack of clarity around all of this, it seems like Paul wants to make sure people aren't questioning Epaphroditus' return, like whether they thought he had come back prematurely. So Paul wants to be really clear. Epaphroditus came because you all could not. Remember, he took that journey. And in taking that journey, he risked his life for me, and he risked it for the sake of the gospel and for Jesus Christ. And he almost died doing so. People like him, they should be honored. So that's what Paul is bringing clarity for that church to understand. He praises the work of Epaphroditus, but he gives glory to God. And there's something a little bit tricky about this for us, right? One person receives a lot of praise while another person goes unnoticed. We know that only truly God knows the heart and the sacrifices that a person makes. Only God knows those who are true servants of the Lord because he knows what happens in secret. But all that said, Paul seemed to be okay to honor a person while giving glory to God. Of course, the key to any of this would be what he's already talked about in the chapter here, which is humility. I mean, when a person humbly serves, right? And Epaphroditus was doing that. He didn't come there seeking to be acknowledged or to be honored. He did it to serve the Lord. And he almost died for that. And in the end, there came this unexpected reward, a word of praise and commendation from the Apostle Paul to the church about the service that Epaphroditus has provided. Have you ever witnessed or been the recipient of someone's act of kindness or service or sacrifice or encouragement or word of encouragement on, on behalf of you? And, and does it inspire your faith that you want to be like that person and be like-minded with Christ in giving yourself for others? To have the heart of a servant? It's what Jesus modeled for us. Could this be our application for this week? To seek out an opportunity to encourage someone else? Knowing that this only happens with a certain level of sacrifice. You know, what could you do this week that would be in keeping with the examples that we have just seen in Timothy and Epaphroditus and really in Paul and in the church in Philippi? They all are modeling something around this that we too can emulate. So here's an opportunity for you. If you're a senior or if you're a young family in our church, you can go to our website right now and you can click on the Growing Together icon and you can sign up to adopt each other. Uh, the idea is that you would share prayer requests with each other and uh, encourage others, each other in whatever way and whatever level you want to. But the whole idea is that during COVID, we need this kind of real encouragement in the life of a church family. We need each other right now. And this is one avenue where you can do that. That's just one opportunity. You know, ultimately, let's be reminded by the example of Jesus, our Messiah and our Lord, as Paul instructed us earlier in chapter 2, in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, where he says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
That is our example. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the ones who have built into our lives, who have encouraged our faith in this spiritual journey. And today we honor them and we give you the glory for them. Thank you that they have inspired our faith. And now, Lord, help us to lift our heads to look around us, to see who it is that you've placed in our lives that we can be used of you to be an encouragement to. We know that this doesn't just naturally happen. We know that this happens when we commit ourselves to you, when we set our mind on Christ and we have the same mindset of Christ, that we too would be obedient, that we too would serve others. So help us to do that this week. Help us to find avenues. Show us your way and your will in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are today's discussion questions. One, share about a person who has played a role in encouraging your faith. What did they do or say that stands out to you? Two, is it true that the faithfulness of another person's faith inspires your own? If so, how does that happen and how has your faith been inspired? Three, how do we honor those who have served faithfully and still bring glory to God? And four, how could you have the mindset of Christ this week? What would that look like? God bless you. I hope to see you back here next Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.